2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. care of our audiovisual, and I saw her at the back of the sanctuary getting ready to move forward, and I was like, somebody's batteries are dying. She's coming to tell me something's gone wrong. <laughs> no, it's good to have you read this morning, Erica. Have you ever heard somebody, uh, somebody say this? Word. Word. Now, I sound kind of goofy when I say it. Word. You know, but, but it's slang. And what it ultimately means is it means that whatever's been said is authoritative and true. Word. You know, and it's slang that, that you might use to, you know, in response to a statement to say it's true. This is a great party. Word. You know, I mean, it could, yeah, you guys are laughing because I do. I sound goofy saying it. I know. You know, but it could be an affirmation, meaning it's something that you said really true. Did you really see them? Word. You know, or, or it could be. Uh, I'm going to follow through with what I said. Are you really going to be there tomorrow night? Word. You, you know, for as silly as I sound saying it, you know, this is slang word actually ultimately has a biblical root. You know, if we go all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. I mean, you've heard people say, I give my word. Well, that statement word is really just shortening it. Instead of I give my word, just word. It's true. It's authoritative. It's, it's a word that I'm bound by. It's not going to be broken. Shortened down to word. I, you know, sometimes we've heard this expressed, a man's word is his bond. If I said it, I'm bound by it. It's authoritative. It's going to happen. It's true. I'm held to it. I'm held by it. My word is my bond. I give my word. You know, all the way back in 1608, the Bishop of Exeter, Joseph Hall, wrote about the honest man, said, His word is his bond. His yea is his oath, which he will not violate for fear or for loss. I'm bound by it, even if it makes me afraid, even if I might lose. My word is my bond. It's authoritative truth on which I stand, from which I will not depart. It's truth that I submit to. It is the truth. I'm bound by it. My word is my bond. And friends, what Paul tells Timothy in today's passage 
is to let your word be your bond, but not your word. Let the word be your bond. Paul doesn't say, Timothy, stand on your own word. He says, cling to the word of God. Let his truth be your bond. Let it be that which binds you, that which is authoritative over you, that which you declare to be true, the truth on which you stand, the truth to which you hold, the truth from which you will not depart. Let His Word be your bond, that which binds you. When persecution, fear, or loss come, submit to the Word of God as your authority because it's true, it's faithful, it's unchanging. So stand on it. On the Word. Now, you might remember from last week, the previous section, Paul was talking about the false teachers. In fact, he's been talking a lot about false teachers through our study of 2 Timothy. Because Paul, writing from a prison cell in Rome, is sending instructions to young Timothy as he oversees the church in Ephesus. And as they face a crisis of false teachers and leaders that have risen up in the church and are seeking to draw people away. And he says, Timothy, as that happens... As false teachers come and as they go from bad to worse, you, you cling to the Word. In fact, we see that this section, Paul's offering us a a, a counterpoint to what he's been saying. He's been talking all about the false teachers, and he starts in verse 10. You, however, all the false teachers, they're doing one thing, Timothy. You, however, are to be different. You, Timothy, are to be different. You see, these false teachers, what are they doing? They're debating about words and meanings. They're quarreling about, did God really say? And what does the Bible really mean? And they're twisting things. The Word is not their bond. The Word is theirs to manipulate and to use for their ends and to promote their agendas and to draw away followers. And Paul says, not you. Not you, Timothy. No, you, the Word is your bond. And he, he begins by offering his own life as an example of life under the Word. You know, in verses 10 and 11, Paul says, Timothy, you know how I've lived. You know what I've been through. You know how I've suffered. I, I, I submit to the Word. That doesn't mean things are easy. It doesn't mean things are easy. It's the authoritative truth on which I stand, but that doesn't mean that there won't be loss and suffering. And in fact, in verse 12, he, he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. He says, hey, listen, if his word, if God's word is your bond, if you are bound by it, if you are under its authority, if that's the truth you declare, the truth to which you hold, the truth on which you stand, then you will be persecuted and you will suffer. And as strange as it seems, these words are meant for encouragement. Seems like a strange way to encourage someone, doesn't it? But you can imagine Timothy going, I'm holding to the Word and I'm suffering. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Don't we tend to do that? When we start to suffer, when things don't seem to be going well, we start to go, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I'm holding to the wrong thing. And Paul goes, no, no, no. If you start suffering as you hold to the Word of God, it doesn't indicate you're doing the wrong thing. It actually indicates you're doing the right thing. Because I held to the Word of God. It was my bond. It is my bond. It is my authority. I submit to the Word of God. And my life, you've seen it, has been full of suffering. And if you do the same, Timothy, 
you're going to suffer. And in verse 13, these these teachers are going from bad to worse. He says they're deceiving and being deceived. And he says, Timothy, not you, because the antidote, the antidote is the Word of God. Hold on to the Word, Timothy, because only the authoritative Word of truth can expose the deceptions of these false teachers. And only the authoritative Word of truth can set free those who are deceived. He, Paul says, Timothy... The Word is your shield and your sword. It's your defense against being deceived, and it's your offense against deception. These false teachers, they're deceived, and they're deceiving, but not you. Why? Because you're holding the sword and the shield. You're holding the Word of the Lord, and you hold it fast. It is your bond. You are bound by it. It is your authority. In church, we need to ask, are we so armed? for battle today. Are you so armed for battle? Paul reminds Timothy in 14 and 15 of the word taught to him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. These are words that then Paul entered into Timothy's life and he himself affirmed. And this is the truth which Timothy has confirmed in his study and in his experience. And Paul says in verse 15, the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They're able to make you wise for salvation. Church, the purpose of God's Word is salvation. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Word that reveals Christ to us so that we might be saved from sin's penalty. And the same Word Christ then uses to continue to save us from sin's power. Friend, salvation has a past, present, and future dimension. He has saved us from sin's penalty, but He's saving us from sin's power right here and now. And one day, He will ultimately deliver us perfectly, eternally, from all sin and suffering, wiping every tear from every eye when He makes all things new. And so, He says the Word reveals Christ to us for our salvation from sin's penalty. And that same word, he says, forms Christ in us. It breaks sin's power. The purpose of God's word is salvation. Is salvation. And this forming process, the the process of salvation, of saving us from sin's power, he describes in verses 16 and 17. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word reveals that we are saved from sin's penalty. Then God's Word teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains and equips us that we may be saved from sin's power. God's Word is about our salvation and the restoration and salvation of all things. Now, when Paul talks about the sacred writings in verse 15, or the Scripture in verse 16, what's he talking about? Well, well, primarily he's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call in our Bible the Old Testament. Paul declares that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Now, now what we're reading today in English was originally written in Greek. And the word that Paul uses here in Greek is the first time that we ever see this word used. He actually created a word. I mean, have you ever heard the word ginormous? 
You ever heard that word? Uh, I mean, again, it's giant and enormous, and somebody smashed them together. And then finally, officially in 2007, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary finally declared it an official word. They smashed together these two words and created new words. And Paul did the same thing here. He took the word for God, and he took the word for breath, and he smashed them together. He created a new word because the Scriptures are so unique, there wasn't an existing word to explain them. Because what we have in the Bible is so unique. We needed a word to explain it. And he says, breathed out by God. Paul literally says the Scriptures are expired. To expire is to breathe out. When we speak, when I'm speaking right now, which is what makes wearing a mask so hard, I'm expiring. And my, my breath goes over my vocal cords and it produces words. And Paul says the word of Scripture is breathed out by God. It's the same way that the Bible actually teaches creation came to be. By the word of God. Psalm 33 verse 6 celebrates, By the word of his mouth the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. It's an example of Hebrew parallelism where they say the same thing in a slightly different way to, to flesh it out. So the word is synonymous with the breath. The Lord breathes out his word. And friends, those words are powerful. He breathed out his word and he created all that exists. That's authority. That's power. And, and, and Paul says, he says, look, the same word, the same breath that created all that exists, he breathed out. His word that we have recorded for us. These words are powerful. These words are authoritative. They're correct. They're complete, as Paul says in the passage. So Paul says here that the Scriptures are breathed out the authoritative word of God. But friends, Paul is not alone as we read the Scripture making these kind of claims. The Apostle Peter wrote the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Here we have the Apostle Peter also claiming that those who wrote the Old Testament were prophets, that God carried them along so that the words that they wrote were words of the Spirit. They are carried along doesn't imply that mere dictation. It wasn't like God used them as some kind of computer or word processor. We find clearly the personality and the knowledge and the background of the human authors. The, the, but the authors of the Scripture, they are, full, they are writing. And so the Scriptures are fully human, but they're also fully divine. By, the Bible claims to be the Word of God written by the hand of man. The claim that God spoke through human authors of the Scriptures repeated multiple times throughout the Word. In Acts 28, verse 25, the Apostle Paul says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah. So he says, The Lord spoke through the words of Isaiah the prophet. That was God speaking. That's God's Word. It's authoritative. Jesus declared in Mark chapter 12, verse 36, King David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under my feet. He claims, he says, King David, when he wrote that, 
in the Holy Spirit, he declared. The Holy Spirit was speaking through David and giving us his word. And the Apostle Peter preached in Acts chapter 4, verse 25, Through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and by the Holy Spirit, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The Spirit of God spoke through Isaiah. The Spirit of God spoke through David. The Spirit of God spoke through the authors of the Scripture. So that the words that we have are no mere human words. These are the breath of God. The same breath, the same words that created all that is, are the words that we have in the Scripture. In fact, much of our Old Testament is declared to be a direct revelation from God to us. Consider the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came. Or Ezekiel, chapter 1, verse 3. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest. Or Hosea 1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Micah 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. Zephaniah 1, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Huge sections of the Hebrew Scriptures dedicated the very words of God spoken and written through a human intermediary. Friends, God communicated His word through human authors. So much so that the ESV translation of the Bible, the phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs 417 times. Or declares the Lord appears 358 times. It is impossible to escape escape the reality that the Bible is filled with an explicit claim to be the words of the Creator God spoken to us through human authors. This is the very breathed out Word of God. And church, if the Scripture is the breathed out Word of God, these words are authoritative. And they are powerful. You know, you might remember when Jesus first started His ministry, He was taken by the devil into the desert to be tested. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was weak. He was alone. And the devil came and tempted Him. And friends, Jesus faced off with the devil. And when He faced off with the devil in His temptations, He didn't battle the devil using His own power, wisdom, or cunning. In in Matthew chapter 4, we hear Him battle the devil using the authority of God's Word. In answer to every single temptation that the devil lobbed at Him, He fought it with the authority of God's Word. Three times we hear Jesus declare, It is written. It is written. And the authority of God's Word was more than enough. It was more than enough to drive away the devil. It is written is synonymous with God has said. And if God said it, it must be authoritative. It must be true. And it is powerful. Friends, the Scripture is the breathed out Word of God. And if it is, then it has power and it has authority. And some of you might be there and you might go, well, okay, Adam, so far you've talked a lot about the Old Testament. The first half of our Bible, the first two-thirds of our Bible, but you haven't said anything about the New Testament. What about the second part of our Bible? Is it equally authoritative? Is that equally breathed out by God? Friends, consider that the New Testament begins with Jesus. The first four books of our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are words about and words of Jesus. 
And what did Jesus say about his own words? Three of the Gospels record Jesus teaching this from Matthew 24:35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now just think about that for a second. If I stood up in front of you today and I said, Friends, heaven and earth, hey, but the words of my sermon today will never pass away. then you'd better drag me off of the platform here. Because no matter how good the teaching of any mere human, he or she knows that those words are temporary and they will eventually pass away. There is only one type of word, only one type of word that will outlast the creation itself. And we hear about it in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, But the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus is making the outrageous claim that the words that he speaks will never pass away. And by claiming that, friends, he is claiming that his words are the very eternal words of God. And friends, if Jesus came and he claimed that and it isn't true, he is not a great teacher. He's either a liar or he's a madman. And we shouldn't be listening to anything that he has to say. But if what he says is true, then his words are authoritative. His words are truth. His words are binding. And this isn't all that Jesus had to say about his teaching. Consider they made claims in John chapter 14, verses 24 through 26. He says, and the word that you hear is not mine, But the fathers who sent me, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, all that I've said to you. Verse 24, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's. It's not mine, but the Father's? Friends, he claimed that his word was the very Word of God. It doesn't get much more brazen than that. And more than that, he goes on to promise his disciples. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to breathe into you and bring to remembrance clearly and accurately all that I did and I taught. And then later on, you're going to teach and write all that's recorded. And friends, that's what we have in our New Testament. We have the Spirit-inspired Spirit-enabled remembrances and recordings of the apostles of Jesus Christ. God-breathed, accurate, truthful. In fact, later in the same section of teaching here, in John 16, Paul promises his, apostles, his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He'll speak, And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says, I'm going to God the Father, but the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Spirit's going to fill you. And that Spirit will help you to accurately remember and communicate my words. And the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. Friends, if Jesus' words are the very eternal word of God as he claimed, and if the Spirit of Jesus dwelt in his apostles, declaring to them Jesus breathed out words, 
then those words would well be the eternal, truthful, accurate word of God as well. And this is exactly what the early church and the apostles themselves understood was happening. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, But we impart this, not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those that are spiritual. Friends, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote one-third of the text of the New Testament, 13 of the 27 books, and he claims here that his teaching was not of human wisdom, but of the Spirit, breathed out by the very Spirit of God. And Paul's claims go even further later on in the letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 37 through 38, Paul says, If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized. Wow! Did you catch that? Paul says, what I'm writing to you is a command of the Lord, a word of the Lord. And if you don't recognize that, you're off base. Friends, that's an unbelievable claim. And if it's not true, then that man, the Apostle Paul, is insane. He's a megalomaniac. And we probably should not read or consider a single word that he has to say. But if it is true, if it is true what he says, then his words were the Spirit-inspired, the God-breathed words of God. Paul says, my words are God's command. Whether you recognize it or not, it's the standard. The standard by which you'll be judged. Friends, are his claims true? You know, the New Testament documents that we have were all written directly by the apostles themselves or by those who were closely associated with the apostles. And the apostles were recognized just as Jesus promised as possessing the very Spirit of God upon them by which they spoke and they wrote and it was the breathed out Word of God. And the church quickly came to recognize their writings and their teachings as authoritative. The Apostle Peter made actually a stunning statement in his second letter. In Second Peter chapter 3, Peter wrote, Just as our beloved Paul, brother Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Now, first of all, there's, there's an encouragement for me here. Here's the Apostle Peter, and he goes, The Apostle Paul, i got to tell you, that guy writes some things that are hard to understand, which is good. So when you struggle to understand things in the scripture and go, I don't quite get that, there's the Apostle Peter going, He writes some things hard to understand. I got it. I hear you. But, Notice what he says of the things that Paul writes. He says he wrote according to the wisdom given him. Given him. Not, not his own wisdom. A wisdom and understanding given him by the Holy Spirit. God breathed out, inspiring Paul and the authors of Scripture. But secondly and most importantly, did you hear what he said at the end? He talked about people twisting Paul's words. And then he says they twist Paul's words as they do the other scriptures. As they do the other 
Scriptures. If I say Joshua and my other children, I'm clearly including Joshua as one of my children, which he is. So when Peter says they twist Paul's writing just like they do the other Scriptures, Peter just bestowed upon Paul's writing the status of authoritative inspired Scripture. That's incredible. Peter says Paul's writing is to be identified with the authority and the veracity of the other Scripture. Peter's second letter was likely written sometime between A.D. 64 and 67. That means just a little bit more than 30 years after the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. The writing of the apostles was coming to be seen by the early church as the true God-breathed authoritative Scripture, the very Word of God. And what's the point of all this? Church, the Bible is no mere human book. This is no mere human book. This is not just the product of human authors trying the best they can in their time and through their human cultures and their limited understanding to grasp God and express to us some kind of fallible understanding of Him. The Bible doesn't just contain God-breathed passages hidden amongst many fallible human reflections leaving us to judge which is which and picking our favorites and only receiving and obeying that which we really like and resonates with us. The Bible doesn't just contain mere human words that God must then inspire to make them become His Word to us. The Bible does not contain human words that God uses to inspire us the same way we might be inspired as we read any great work of literature. Friends, the Bible claims here of itself multiple times in multiple ways that all Scripture, from beginning to end, is God-breathed. It is true. It is the authoritative Word of God. And that is what Paul says in today's passage. And friends, if it is the God-breathed-out Word, then it's authoritative. And as he says in verse 16, it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Friends, teaching, rebuking, and correcting are authoritative actions. It implies that the Bible has authority over you and over me. You do not rebuke the Bible. The Bible rebukes you. You do not correct the Bible. The Bible corrects you. The Bible does not submit to you. You submit to the Bible. Friends, as people, as humans, our problem is that we have always struggled with and always struggled against authority. Every one of us. From the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve struggled with the authority of God's Word, of His command, and instead what they do, they decide to follow their own Word and their own authority instead. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, He rebuked them in Mark chapter 7, verse 8, saying, You leave the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of man. And we still do the same thing today, don't we? To the false teachers in Ephesus, whom Paul was warning Timothy about in 2 Timothy 3.18, he said, So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified according to the faith. And friends, us today, we struggle with, we struggle against, 
We oppose any authority except for our own. And so, friends, the question that Paul is asking Timothy and that God is asking us today is, will the word be authoritative in your life? Human tradition and culture, will that be authoritative? Will the spirit of the age be your authority? Will the word of a political party or social movement be your authority? Will the voice of the crowd and the majority be your authority? Will the word of your own desires be your authority? To what authority are you going to submit? What word is going to be your bond? What word will bind you? To what authoritative truth will you bind yourself despite fear, loss, or suffering? Because church, church, the greatest threat to Christianity is not out there. It's going to come from in here. The greatest threat to Christianity then, as Paul wrote to Timothy, is the same greatest threat to Christianity today. It's ultimately false teachers who will redefine, refasten, reform, and actually deform the faith. And at the heart is the matter of authority. To what authority will you submit? What word will be your bond, will bind you? I'm finishing up right now an excellent book that I would recommend to every one of you. The book's by Elisa Childers called Another Gospel. Elisa Childers, Another Gospel. I'd hardly recommend it to all of you because it works and addresses this question of authority in our day. It's eminently readable, full of accessible and helpful scholarship that might help you know and stand on the authority of what you believe. And Elisa Childers recounts her own journey and her own crisis of faith as she participated in a class in a church, but with a pastor who sought to deconstruct the faith of the participants in that class. He was deconstructing their faith in orthodox, historic, biblical Christianity. And finally, it came to a crux for her, and she tells this story. At one point, the pastor said, Well, it's clear to me that the Bible condemns homosexuality. So each and every one of you need to decide how much authority does this book hold in your life. And Childers goes on. In years past, it was assumed that if you called yourself a Christian, you believed in biblical authority. But now as progressive Christianity infiltrates and infects the true church, we must all decide how much authority does this book hold in our lives? How much authority will this book hold in your life. Whether it's homosexual behavior, heterosexual behavior, gender identity, human dignity, scientific discovery, child rearing, politics, ethics, morality, and the like, you must ultimately answer the question, how much authority will this book hold in your life? Is this book truly authoritative for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness? Is this the breathed out authoritative word of God. Is this word your bond? Will you submit to it? What will be your word? Let's pray. Father, we come to you with our stubborn and our rebellious hearts.
we come to you resisting any authority but our own authority. And we pray, Father, that you would submit our wayward hearts to you. That you would become the authority. That your word would be our bond. That your truth would be our guide. And that Jesus Christ would be our all and all. In his name we pray.